Danielle Houston here again with The Checkup. I'm the Benefits Advisor at Propel Insurance, and we are talking about Washington Paid Family Leave. Note that this is episode number two, so if you haven't listened to the first episode, I'd highly recommend it. It's got the framework and lays the groundwork for Washington Paid Family Leave here in our state. How did it come here? And this episode, we're really going to focus on what that employee experience is going to be like under this new mandated benefit. We want to talk about how the benefits would work and all of that. So Marjorie is here with us from Sun Life, and she is the attorney for Sun Life, and this is her expertise. So Marjorie's walking us through some of these specific things that we all have so, so many questions about. (laughs) So the benefit will start paying out January of 2020, a full year after that actual payroll tax has been collected. We've talked about two different parts of this benefit. We've got the portion that would replace income if you're sick or disabled or injured in some way. And then we have the other piece that is the paid family leave, right? right? So, you know, again, employers, if you have a short-term disability policy, that is great, but that is not going to meet the minimum requirements that the state has. Right. So we have been getting a lot of questions about whether a short-term disability plan will satisfy. And it will go part of the way, but it won't go all the way. There are going to be holes. Right. And so carriers are working to try to figure out how to mesh the two, how to have a state plan and then how to also have the private plan because the private plan is going to be more generous for some people in certain circumstances and the state plan. So let's go through the basic benefits. Under the Washington statutory plan, an employee would get 12 weeks per year if they are unable to work because of their own serious health condition. They also would be eligible for up to 12 weeks per year of the family leave, which can include leave to bond with a new child within the first 12 months of either birth or placement, to care for a family member who has a serious health condition, or because of a qualifying military exigency, which is a fancy phrase for an emergency that is caused when a family member is called to military duty. So you can get 12 weeks for medical, 12 weeks for family. You can take a combined total of 16 weeks of family and medical in one year. So not and then, 24. You wouldn't be able no, to take 12 No, not 12. 24. And then okay. just to make it extra complicated, you can get an extra two weeks of paid leave if the medical leave is because of a pregnancy. Does it have to be medical leave because you had a complicated pregnancy of some kind? Because even, you know, like our short-term disability today, you know, it's usually six weeks, but you get eight weeks if it's cesarean and then additional weeks if there are other. So is the state... So you would have to show that you were unable to work because of the pregnancy, but you would get an extra two weeks of medical leave added on to your allotment. Okay. So a couple of things that are striking about the law. Number one, the family members that are covered are much broader than the FMLA. So the FMLA is parent, child, or spouse. Under the Washington law, it's child, parent, and spouse, but it's grandchild, grandparent, sibling, 
domestic partners and parent-in-laws. Wow. And that will be significant for those employers who also have to comply with the FMLA because one of the things that we've seen in New York, New York State has a paid family leave, is employers get nervous about employees stacking leave. So can they take 12 weeks of FMLA and then another 12 weeks under the Washington law? The Washington law says that if you're also eligible for FMLA, it will run concurrently, so they won't be able to stack. But where you run into problems, and we've seen this in New York, is an employee will be eligible for 12 weeks of leave to care for a grandchild. That's not covered under the FMLA, so they won't exhaust their FMLA. So you could have an employee take 12 weeks of leave to care for a grandchild, and then another 12 weeks of leave to care for their spouse all in the same year. So there are going to be a lot of tricky aspects of how this law interacts with the FMLA. Okay, and maybe this is a tricky question, but if you qualify for an example of leave that would be allowed under the Washington law, and maybe that leave is for your grandchild, and you can't take FMLA for that, does that mean though that your employer has to hold your job? If you meet the job protection standards under the Washington law, it's the same standards as the FMLA. Essentially, you have to be at an employer with 50 or more employees, have worked for a year or 12 months, and then have worked a certain number of hours within the year. And yes, if you meet all those requirements, you will have 12 weeks of job protected leave, paid leave under Washington, and then you could get another 12 weeks of unpaid job protected leave under Under the the federal. So do you think that one of the pushes then will be for the federal mandates to start mirroring some of these so there's not all that is certainly what we would like to see we at sun life and at other carriers too have been getting more and more active in trying to lobby both state and federal legislatures so that we do get one common law because right now the new york paid family leave law is just different enough from the washington law to drive an employer crazy they have to have somewhat separate provisions So what happens sometimes in these legal developments is you get model laws. There is no model paid family leave law yet. So each state is kind of tinkering around with it with its own unique aspect to it. Just so that employers know, all employers are covered, all public, all private employers. The U.S. government is not covered. So even as you were mentioning in our first session, that it covers even those smaller employers who are not used to dealing with the FMLA. They are now going to have to learn it to a certain extent because the Washington PFML is like the FMLA. So they will be learning all those words. There is a seven-day waiting period, but not if a child is born or a child is placed. Then the waiting period doesn't exist. And the Washington ESD has made clear that it's seven calendar days. So if you have an employee who has a three-day work week, they don't have to be out for two-plus weeks before they get benefits. It's a seven-calendar-day work week, regardless of how many days they work during the week. And it's not deducted from the leave allotment. So you take seven days unpaid, then you get... 12 weeks. So it's not you take seven days and then you get 11 weeks. It's not subtracted from the allotment. Okay. So it's really 13 weeks of leave. 
Got it. They get the one unpaid yeah. and 12 paid. So who is eligible? And we're talking about employees at this point. Yes. So an employee has to work in Washington State for at least 820 hours during the qualifying period. One of the things about these laws is they're so specific that it could drive you crazy reading it. The qualifying period is the first four of the last five full calendar quarters. Ugh, uh, but if somebody has right, somebody <laughs> hasn't worked for you for that amount of time, you can use the most recent four quarters. I don't know why they don't just allow everybody to use the most recent four quarters, but that would um, be easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if somebody's worked for 820 hours in the state of Washington, basically in the last year, they're going to be eligible. And the tricky thing is they don't have to have worked for you. Right. They just have to have worked somewhere in Washington. So we are already in discussions with the Washington Employment Security Department about how are we going to know? Yeah. How How is an employer going to know where the people have worked? And they claim at least they're going to have really reliable reporting and data sharing and everything else. But we're quite nervous about that. Yeah, that's a big undertaking. And that is outlined in the voluntary guide, which we'll talk about in episode three. But knowing that you're going to have to have an idea of what this employee has done, or we don't want to get into session three ahead of the time, but these are teasers. A voluntary plan is when you can opt out. So the way this benefit is going to be administered is the state is going to pay the benefits. So the employee will make a request for payment to the state and the state will pay it. They'll have to let their employer know they're going to be out of work, too. They can't just disappear and get the benefit. But it's all state run. A lot of employers are not crazy about the idea of getting stuck in a bureaucratic nightmare at the government level. So the Washington law actually allows employers to opt out of the state program and have what they call a voluntary plan. So their own private plan. And that's where hopefully employers who have short-term disability are going to be able to make that work to satisfy the medical leave portion of the program. So with regard to the voluntary plan, and we don't want to spoil all of session three, you can opt out either for the medical or for the family or for both. So we definitely are going to need to know whether the employee is taking leave under state plans, under other employer voluntary plans, in terms of deciding have they taken 12 weeks within the last 12 months. You're going to need to be able to look back. And I think, too, you know, from the employee experience standpoint, I have heard several of my clients refer to it as almost like sending the employee down to an office somewhere or calling somewhere in Olympia that might feel a lot like if someone is filing an unemployment claim or something like that. And there's some concern then around what will that experience really be like if an employee is in a situation where they do need that income replacement. So do we have any idea yet about what that experience will be We do not, we do not. We can look somewhat to state administered statutory programs or even the social security disability programs. One of the concerns we have as carriers is the governments are always slower. Yeah. You know, they're not as user friendly. So I think there are a lot of benefits that a private plan could offer. And it's great that Washington allows employers to opt out. Not all, not all statutes allow that. In fact, Massachusetts 
which is also going into effect soon, did not originally allow employers to opt out. And we went and met with the legislators and told them, you know, we'll help you if you let employers opt out because there'll be less demand on the state system. And you'll also get employers offering more generous benefits to their employees. They can add other benefits on. So, And I would think just like in some other areas, you know, and I'll use workers' compensation as an example, when employers are able to privatize or they're able, you know, in Washington State to work through some third-party right. agencies like an approach who really are still, it's a state workers' comp, right. but they're getting some help in there. The ability to be able to get the right kind of documentation to verify someone's right. illness or family leave, right. that's been another concern is how great of a right. job will the state do in being able to right. validate that and then get someone's income replacement right. actually out timely. Because, right. you know, again, to your point, I think that this benefit really is designed in a way that if you are on the lower income earner spectrum, you're going to have a more generous percentage of reimbursement up front, right? And I have a feeling that if you're in that category and you are out and you're not going to get a paycheck, you can't wait weeks. Like you can't be back to work already before you get a check. (laughs) It's true. We are very concerned about the speed with which that government agencies are going to be able to do this. I echo that concern because, yeah. you know, I can testify to the fact that, you know, we have clients that they have someone who goes out on maternity leave and, you know, we might be a week into the process right. where the paperwork has come in and the documentation maybe just got all approved by someone's doctor right. and someone is already wondering when they're going to get their first check. Right. It's right. a stressful experience yes. when someone's waiting yes. for that. Absolutely. So do you think we covered kind of the basics, at least of maybe the classic employee? When I say classic, I mean non-union. Yes. Can we talk about union? Yes. So there are special provisions, and this must have been a political compromise. There are special provisions that say that if there's a collective bargaining agreement in place on or before October 19th, 2017, then any employees covered by that agreement are not covered by the Washington PFML law. So you don't take out premium from them and they're not eligible for the leaves. However, once that agreement expires or needs to be renegotiated or reopens, then the employees will automatically go into the Washington paid family leave. We have identified a gap because they will become automatically eligible. You remember how I mentioned you had to work for 820 hours? Well, under the CBA, they will become automatically eligible and they will not have contributed anything to the program. They'll just go in. And and so that could hurt the state, right? They won't have collected anything. And then when you get into voluntary plans, if an employer decides to offer a private plan solution and then their employees who were covered by a collective bargaining agreement suddenly become eligible, they will not have deducted any of the premiums to cover them. So we're trying to sort that out with Washington. I think it's just a glitch. 
yeah they didn't think of one of those things where on paper it seems like it would yeah. probably work but then when you start talking through all of the details like right. the carrier understands right. then you start seeing where there would be some things that definitely right. should be ironed out and right. probably rewritten so anyone on or before a contract of 10 19 17 so you know like i've got a client that just finished their union negotiations so the contract i think it was live september 1st of this year of this year so then they're in they're in they're in. what if they didn't negotiate that into the contract what if they didn't even talk it's, about it's, it it's i don't think it matters that's yeah. an interesting question, but I think this exemption only applies to union employees who had their agreements in place before October 19th, 2017. Okay, so if it's not negotiated with that union, but it was after that date in October right. 17, is the union going to say then that you can't take that from the member's check? See, that would be the I don't the think they'll have any right to do that. It's statutory. It has to happen. Okay. And if you're a union that has over 50 employees, then the employer wouldn't be able to collect all of it, but they could collect that almost 50% or whatever that number. I hadn't even thought of it, but a lot of union agreements have their own version of STD or family leave. And so if they're adopting agreements now without taking into account that's almost worthy of a separate podcast. <laughs> it is, yeah. And like, uh, who do we get from employment security to be part of that? It's probably a good thing to be telling employers that if they are negotiating collective bargaining agreements, they need to at least include a catch-all language that says yes. we'll adjust this depending on when the statute kicks in. I mean, yeah. they're going to need to start anticipating this. Right. And I don't think a lot of them are, which, you know, again, different podcasts, maybe different episode or something. <laughs> but I mean, in all seriousness, I think this is going to sneak up on right. so many employers. Right. I mean, we've been talking about it as we go out to do our pre-renewals right. or our mid-year meetings. Right. But I am finding that for right. so many employers, right. they're saying, oh, nope, that's not been uh, on our radar quite yet. Yes. So... This is good, and I think that, you know, unions, you know, always have their own areas that are unique, and we obviously have a number of our clients that fall into the category of having some union population there. So I'm sure we can craft something specific to help them address what they might need to do next. One thing we haven't talked about is that if the employers are required to continue health insurance under the FMLA, they also have to continue it during this leave. Okay. So that is an important So if you've qualified for it. Under the FMLA. And not a COBRA benefit either we're no, talking about. No, Continuation the way you would under the FMLA. But at least in New York, just to contrast these state laws, in New York, all employees who are eligible for the New York paid family leave benefits get to have their health insurance continued, regardless of whether they're also eligible under the FMLA. Washington at least did try to have things consistent with the FMLA as much as they could. So I actually give the Washington legislators some credit for that. Well, it's a complicated thing. You can't just slap something together, right? Right. So you can tell that they're attempting to put together something that's going to make sense and address a whole range of issues that are going to come up. And like we all know, when we work with people, there are going to be issues that come up that we could not predict. So there's going to be some bumps, I would think, along the road there. One more thing we didn't talk about yet is intermittent leave. Oh. (laughs) 
No one likes that. That's why we're not talking about it. <laughs> well, so I think when we talked about why won't my short-term disability plan qualify, I think one of the biggest challenges is this intermittent leave. Most employers' short-term disability plans contemplate a sort of a continuous period of absence. They don't twelve full weeks. They, or... Right. They don't contemplate that you'll be here one day and not here the next day. And under this law, just like the FMLA, employees can get the benefits for one day. And so I think that's where we have to figure out how the STD plans how we can make them compliant so that you can keep your STD for those that benefits a lot of people, but you still are going to have to cover for these intermittent absences. So if someone could have their income replaced in it for one day, would that be, I mean, because I could be out for one day because I have a serious cold, would that qualify? It has to qualify as a serious health condition, which typically requires not being able to work for a period of three days or more, continuing treatment. But if you have a chronic condition, migraines, Crohn's disease, and it flares up, you could be out for that and you could get paid. Okay, so they have at least said, you know, being out for the flu probably. The flu is not gonna apply. But there is a Washington paid sick leave too. That's yet another podcast. (laughs) See, there is so much content. I always tell people, they're like, what do you talk about on your podcast? I'm like, don't you know? The, The range of topics here is endless. Okay, wow. So the other weird thing about the law, and the Washington Employment Security Department knows this, is that it the intermittent leave is allowed in minimum increments of eight hours because they assumed people worked eight-hour workdays. But if you're a part-time employee, does that mean if you work four hours a day, do you have to take two days off? Or if you work 12 hours a day, how do you so the agency hasn't yet figured out how they're going to deal with that but they know that that's a problem with the statute that it refers to eight hours and not one work day that's what they should have said is one work day because you know people are going to ask right i mean that's (laughs) what it all comes down to someone will you know want to push the system at least and run regard if they have to be out for four hours for something and (laughs) and then the state will have to make their revision so Let's just recap really quickly on the benefits. The benefits are going to apply to every person who has worked those 840, 820 hours. The benefits, they can be taken intermittently. The benefits aren't just our traditional short-term disability. So if you're thinking you have a short-term plan in place, you're going to be fine. You're not. Right. Going to have to be looking at that. Right. And either making sure that we look to a carrier like a Sun Life to help us fill in some holes there or, you know, decide to go ahead and opt in. Another challenge is that the Washington paid family medical leave law applies to part-time employees and a lot of people's STD plans do Do not. not. That's right. right. Yeah. Um, Most of the time, the eligibility there mirrors all of the other benefits. So 30 hours. I've got some clients who maintain 40 hours on long-term disability. And here, the 820 hours comes out to about 16 hours a week. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You start peeling back the layers and this is... (laughs) Yeah, 
This is going to be an interesting transition, I think, for all of us. Well, let's go ahead and we'll wrap episode sure. two. As we have already indicated and kind of toyed with here, episode three is going to talk about the voluntary guide, the voluntary option here that an employer will have. So we hope that you'll stick around and come back and listen to episode three as we round out a series talking about Washington paid family leave and all that is yet to unfold over the next couple of years. Thanks for tuning into the checkup.